meditation actually does provide some immediate benefits as well as everybody hears about the longer term benefits, but three minutes of just sitting quietly and breathing deeply and paying attention to breathing all the way in, all the way down to your abdomen and letting all of that air out and doing that for just three minutes, you will have immediate effects. Everything slows down your nervous system, the cortisol that's coursing through your veins, everything will feel better. You will feel better by stopping for three minutes. I mean, three, come on, who doesn't have three minutes? In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Lori Seitz. Lori is the founder and CEO of Zen Rabbit and host of the podcast, Fine is a Four-Letter Word. An award-winning author, speaker, and broadcaster, Lori is on a mission to teach the world to be calm and grounded no matter what is going on. As a nationally recognized gratitude and meditation expert, Lori guides entrepreneurs and business leaders from stressed and chaotic to peaceful and focused and shows them how to live a sabbatical life. Her clients have seen sales increase, relationships strengthened, and overall health improved. You can learn more about Lori at zenrabbit.com. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Lori. Lori, welcome to the corporate couch. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm I'm very excited, very excited. I, uh, I it looks like you possibly grew up in New Jersey, so I was uh, one state over in New York. Uh, Don't I, tell anyone, okay? I got out <laughs> as soon as I could. <laughs> when people say, "Oh, yeah, yeah, you you're from New Jersey, right?" So I said, "No, I'm from New York." So I, I said, no, I know, New and New Yorkers are very like they have they don't want to be known like it's different no new york exactly exactly so um yeah so uh i'd like to start with a fun question uh to all my guests in terms of we've been on zoom now in the pandemic for the last uh, three plus years so what's the craziest attire you've seen on a professional zoom call or lack of attire whatever the case may be you know i haven't actually seen too much i've spent a lot of time on zoom i was on zoom way before pandemic. So that was, that was not a new thing for me once pandemic showed up, but I don't think there's, I can't remember a time when anybody's been like too crazy other than, um, yeah, you know, having an animal show up like this, a a (laughs) cat or a dog. uh, Two-year-old, uh, ultra mini golden doodle. So he's yeah. Adorable. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, most people I've been on calls with have been even if not professionally dressed, at least dressed like a t-shirt, 
maybe uh, yeah nobody all, showed all up in curlers yeah. or or um pajamas yeah we've had uh, people mention uh, pajamas we've had people mention uh guys showing up with no shirt just a towel over them uh, uh i wish i had a story i i just i don't know and actually i just did another uh radio personality slash voiceover talent uh for, locally based in kansas city and he said yeah i was in my underwear once for a zoom call the and so, so there, there you go so that those are kind of the the top ones uh that come yeah if mind, people so. were wearing something crazy at least i didn't see it right. you, you know see, maybe yeah, it was below the camera there you go <laughs> Yeah, I actually, I, uh, when I started my podcast, I used to ask, uh, so what are you wearing uh, below the camera? And then uh, a friend of mine goes, yeah, females may not want you to ask them that question. So I, I don't ask that question anymore. <laughs> I, I actually have on jeans today instead of just workout leggings. All right, there you go. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, this is a corporate couch that we're going to get into a therapy session. But I always like, you know, I think childhood uh, helps us uh, kind of figure out who we are. And uh, so growing up, um, what what did you love to do, Lori? I loved to write and color, which I sometimes pull out a coloring book now. And we can get into talking about that too, because yeah. it's a form of meditation. But sure. um, what did I love to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I was, a lot of the stuff I still love doing, which is writing uh, playing around in the kitchen, like baking, making up recipes or taking a recipe and totally modifying it. Yeah, and, um, and Barbies, I mean, come on, what girl at my age doesn't, didn't love her Barbies. I mean, who's grown up in like the seventies and. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I used to have a GI Joe doll. So there you go. Yeah. So uh, did my brother and he became the boyfriend for the Barbie. <laughs> there you go. Ken was pissed, but, uh, but you know, what can you do? Uh, so uh, just go to coloring for one second. When you colored as a kid inside the lines, what was your coloring? Yeah, uh, I was probably much more the inside the lines kind okay. of kid. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I was too. I, I, I like the color also. Interesting. Um, so did you have aspirations, you know, every you know, kids want to be the president, they want to be a teacher, they want to be whatever, what, did you, what was your kind of dream? Yeah, that was my aspiration was to be a teacher because I didn't, there wasn't a whole lot that I saw. Um, my mom had been a teacher before I was born. And so I just thought that would be a cool, fun thing to do. And the interesting thing about that is that I still, I see myself as a teacher now just in a different form, not standing in front of a classroom of kids. Right. And yeah, that's, I mean, when I was really young, that's what I, that's what I saw. And that's what I aspired to as I got to be like a young teenager. And my stepfather was a kind of a mid-level executive for a very large insurance company. And he worked in the city. And so I kind of then thought, well, you know, I, executive could be kind of cool, but I'm not, and <laughs> because we had to take typing. Did you have to take typing in school? Yeah, it was my lowest grade in I hated high. it. And so I can type, I know how to do it. But I remember coming home from school like every day and I was like, I am not gonna need to know how to type. I'm gonna have a secretary to do this for me. Yeah, interesting. So then uh, uh, you go to American University and 
uh, you pick a major that looked like communication. What what was kind of the basis of that? Yeah, when I was in high school, I have vague memories of this, but I was volunteering at a community television station. And I fell in love with being in the studio. Oh my gosh, I still love the feeling of being in a TV studio. So that was my major when I started college was broadcast. And American University was my escape from New Jersey. I wanted to go to a school in a city. And my mom had given me the parameter of it needed to be uh, four hours away or less. And I, by driving. And I, of course, said, well, that depends how fast you drive, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I came, I came to the nation's capital, loved it. I still love this city so much and started as a broadcast major. But a couple of years into school, I went into a radio studio with a, like a real radio studio, real station, not off campus. And the DJ said to me, yeah, that's great. You know, everybody needs to start somewhere. So typically you're going to start in working overnights in the middle of Iowa for $10 an hour. And I was like, not knowing any better, not knowing to ask question, more questions or to even, you know, explore if that was true. In my head, I went, oh, hell no, I am not leaving the nation's capital to go work in the middle of Iowa and do overnights. And I changed my major. I changed it to public communications, which is more like public relations. And that's what I graduated with. Okay. Interesting. But I never, never dropped my love for broadcast. Yeah, I think we'll get into that a little later as we go through your career progression. So I also, uh, you know, researching for our conversation today, you're prominent on, you know, uh, whether it's your podcast uh, or your website, but you love weightlifting. And it, I, I heard that you started at 17. Like, what was the basis of that? I have no idea because nobody in my family was an athlete. Nobody worked out at a gym. I do not know where that love came from. But shortly after I got my driver's license, the next thing I did was go sign up at um, back in the day when it was more popular. It was an all women's gym. And and I just got into it. Yeah, no, no role model, no, uh, no somebody that you emulated or you just said. Not that I can I'm remember. Gonna, I have no idea. Ways. Yeah, I have no idea what drove that interest. Yeah. And it's, it's been a lifelong something I've done. Yeah. For my whole life. And I would so much rather be in the weight room. There's the t-shirt I saw that says Cardi. Oh, look, weights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I injured my, uh, I had a knee surgery, my first knee surgery when I, in December, uh, when I was 17 uh, and I turned 18 in January and I started lifting weights then as part of my physical therapy. So after I finished my physical therapy with the, the therapist, he said, you need to do it on your own. And the only place in my small hometown, we, I grew up in about an hour from New York city in the uh, peak skill, New York. The only place that had a gym besides the high school was the, a gymnastics, a huge gymnastics place, mainly female gymnasts at all ages. And then they had this other room that had weights and I was just doing legs, but then I'm like, I might as well lift. And I 
basically have lifted every year of my life, you know, since 18. Yeah. I, you, it's everywhere. Like when you read about me that I call the gym is my sanctuary. Yeah. That's where I can go and just don't talk to me. Like, just let me do my thing. Yeah. Head. I bet you no headphones. You just lift. No, definitely headphones. Definitely headphones. What do you listen to? Um, all kinds of stuff, classic rock, strong okay. women, Okay. mostly those two things. Okay. And sometimes some like current pop. Okay. Great. I didn't know if you try to get into the meditative flow. Cause we'll talk. No, about no. I got to have music when I'm, and, and <laughs> yeah, it just, some people listen, rock it, rock Actually, it out. I don't no podcast. Yeah. I need my music Yeah. and I can get in the zone. I love it. Love it. So you graduate, uh, there and your first job how did you secure your first job i believe it was a corporate communications yeah oh my gosh my first job so i had an internship my second semester or senior year had an internship at the craziest marketing communications agency it was very small two the two principals and one person she was more than an assistant but she had just graduated so she was a year older than me we've become we've stayed friends still this day. So I got to do a lot of really cool things because it was such a small agency. And, but they couldn't, because it was so small, they couldn't keep me on after I graduated, but they helped me find my first job. And that was as the assistant executive director, the ad association of Metro Washington or the ad association of Washington, DC, something like that. And at the time, it was the late 80s, every advertising agency and marketing communications agency was a member. They had like a thousand members of this association. So everybody, what I ultimately wanted was to be a copywriter. That's the job I was looking for. I sent out like 400 resumes. The guys at my internship helped me because they're so creative. They helped me create this amazing, super creative cover letter. Nice. And that looked like the front page of a newspaper. Wow. Super cool. Love but it. I didn't end up getting a job as a copywriter. That's not what came to me. Um, but this opportunity to work for this association where I got to interact with everyone from every ad agency in right. town was amazing. Yeah. And that's one of the days you used to get together for meetings, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, oh, the, yeah. So ma- I mean, regularly hundreds of people at every monthly meeting. I love it. So 400, you had to actually mail them too. So that yes, was- mail and like fold <laughs> mail and everything had to be laid out. There wasn't desktop, right? you know, design like, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy to think about that. Probably typewriter possibly even too. And man, yeah. But the layout of that cover letter that looked like the front page of a newspaper, like that had to be done manually. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I still have a copy of that somewhere, I think. Was it an 8 by uh, 11? Yeah. Yeah. 8.5 by 11 sheet. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see that. That would be phenomenal. Yeah. Let me see if I can dig it out from somewhere. I'll send you a copy. So you kind of did a couple of different things in the communication PR realm and then it looked like you got a, a sales job, possibly a business. No, job. I've never really worked in sales because after that, I went and worked um, in the PR department of a, a residential real estate company. Right. From there, I went to the marketing department of an international financial services company where we were buying and selling foreign currency. This was before the euro. Okay. 
then my husband and I started moving around my husband at the time to Pittsburgh, Sacramento. I worked for a marketing communications agency as a, an account manager. And I did some business development there that didn't feel so much like sales, but I I was selling marketing, you know, this agency services. And then we moved to South Florida and that's about when I got back into, I got my real opportunity to, to work in real radio. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it looks like you were a radio personality in, in, in South Florida. Phenomenal. Like, so what did you decide? Like, I don't want to be like this PR communication guru, have my own secretary typing my (laughs) stuff up, that type thing. I I couldn't get a job in South Florida. Like I talked to so many people and they were, there were no marketing opportunities or at least none that were being presented to me. And so I ended up going back to school for broadcast at like a local, yeah, it was a place that it was kind of like a trade school for broadcast. And so I made some connections there and I got into being able to do some on-air radio, uh, funny overnights for $10 an hour, um, but in South Florida instead of Iowa. So there you go. little different. <laughs> it was a little different. And yeah. I did get to do some, some stuff that wasn't overnight, but that was rough. Working yeah. overnight is rough. So what was your surprise, uh, your biggest surprise doing that for a living that you had no pre- preconceived notion about? Cause I, I think you worked in your college radio station, you said, but yeah, I did work my college radio station all four years, even though I changed my major, that was, could have been a clue, but I just love that. I love being able to have a microphone, but it's not just to hear my own voice. It's to connect with people. The power of connection through broadcast is pretty amazing. Yeah, I think we were talking before we went on air. Um, I, I interviewed a local, he was a famous radio personality in Kansas City, you know, the top rated morning show. Uh, Dan and Darcy, uh, Dan Hurst is his name, but he, he talks about the power rate and he got let go because uh, of all the corporate buyouts. And he mm-hmm. goes, you know, now it's just, you know, people playing, you know, let's see, I do 20 songs in a row. There's no interaction. There's no community yeah. building. There's no relationship building. And he right. saw the demise uh, of that coming. So interesting. Yeah. I bet he would agree with me. So to answer your question, what surprised me is how much work goes into putting together what you hear on the radio back in the day, especially like morning shows, they don't just come in and turn on the mic and go. There's a ton of prep that goes into that. Yeah. Because it's, it's a long time before hours. You know. Yeah. yeah I mean, you, you need content. You can't just, you know, think about it on the fly. Then you work a couple of different radio stations. It looked like, and then you found your own company. Uh, yeah. So talk yeah, about because- that because I couldn't keep working the overnights and uh, the hours were crazy. I ended up getting pneumonia and I, yeah, I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And so, yeah, I started my own business based on a family recipe. So the first business was called Zen rabbit baking company. And the product was eventually became known as the gratitude cookie. So, uh, yeah, so I was, because I had a background in marketing and corporate communications, it wasn't my idea to just become the next Mrs. Fields. I created this as a product, as a way for businesses to say thank you to their clients and their referral sources. 
And that's what I did. I customized these packages. I shipped them all over the world, ran that business for 11 years, couldn't scale it the way I would have liked and ended up shutting it down. Wow. So it was self-funded then? You you funded everything? Yes, it was self-funded by by myself and all the credit cards I could get. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just because uh, you, you didn't want to work the late night, but some people would go back to what they knew and be the you know director of corporate communication or VP of PR or whatever. But you decided, hey, I want to run my own business. Like, what was the thought process behind that? Again, it was, it was, I can't get a job in South Florida. Like they don't, it's going to, maybe it's changed, but the feeling I got, South Florida is a weird place. Okay. Let me just say, <laughs> having lived there, anybody who's listening and who has lived in South Florida knows what I am talking about, but it is weird. People get there and they may have been very responsible and um, business-like when they lived in New York but they get down there and they, they aren't like, hmm. it's like this very weird world, but marketing wasn't really respected. Like a lot of companies and organizations, they may have had a marketing department because somebody told them they had to, but they didn't really, they didn't really know how to do marketing and they weren't serious about it. At least that was my experience. And so I couldn't get a job. Yeah, I love so it. So I said, hey, I'm going to just do my own thing then. And what family me uh, member's recipe did you use to start the company? I can't tell you that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, was actually, it was actually a family friend. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then why the name Zen Rabbit? So again, as a marketer, you want to find a name right. that's going to be memorable. Right. And and I am, that's one thing. I'm really good at branding. Oh, wave my flag and ego for that one. But uh, yeah, so what happened was when I would give these cookies to people and they would taste them, they would immediately get the, this reminiscent, uh, they'd go to this place where they would think about baking in the kitchen with grandma. And that was like their Zen bless, blissful place. And so I thought, hey, that's kind of like what I, when I was a baby, my mom bought me a stuffed rabbit. And as I got a little bit older, I would rub her ears for comfort. Like kids do, they have blankies or animals or whatever. And so I had this rabbit and there's, there are pictures. There's a picture on my website on the about page. I think it is um, of me with the rabbit. And you can see, I'm like in this Zen blissful place. That's what she did for me. And that was kind of what these cookies were doing for people when they would eat them. It was like taking them to this, this Zen blissful place. And so, hey, why don't I call the company Zen Rabbit? It's a really memorable name. Yeah, love it, love it. And um, I and we'll get more into what you're doing now, but because um, I know a lot of it is about gratitude. But what gave you the idea back then of the gratitude cookie? I thought it was a great idea. Yeah. Did you ever see the movie The Secret? Yes. Okay, so in that movie, there's the gratitude rock. And about this same time that the movie came out and that I was starting the business, that was about the same time, 2003, uh, I was part of a mastermind group. And we were, I don't remember, we had all watched the movie together, but we also were reading, 
I don't know if it was thinking grow rich or the science of getting rich or one of the, we, cause we read all of those together as a group and then we go through and analyze it. So we're sitting around one time talking about, you know, as somebody was like, we would share challenges with each other as well. And not just, it wasn't just a book study group. And somebody came up with and said, Hey, you know what? These are like gratitude cookies, you know, like the gratitude rock. These are, these are gratitude cookies. And I'm like, bingo, that's what they are. So, you know, sometimes the best ideas do not come from yourself. That's why you need to get around other people and be in peer strategy groups or situations. Yeah. So you talked about not being able to scale it like you really wanted to, but you had some success. I saw your Zen crunch product was on the Rachel ratio. Yeah. What do you, would you, would you have done differently in knowing what you know now? And obviously you're in a place where you should be, but you know. Yeah. 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 I would have, I would have chosen one or two particular niches, but it took me a really long time to figure out which industries were my best customers. And it was financial services and commercial insurance because they have a long, they have a lifetime, the lifetime value of a client is pretty high in those industries. And so it behooves them to keep their clients happy so that they stay with them. They also have some restrictions around how much they can spend. And the cookies fit on both of those terms. But it took me a really long time to figure that out. And I would have specialized and gone after those industries much harder. But I was all over the place. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to do wholesale. I really wanted to sell to Starbucks. But I didn't have, the cookies were really labor intensive. So they cost a lot to produce. And I didn't have a wholesale, a wholesale price. Like I couldn't get my price low enough to be able to sell it to, to a company so that they could double or quadruple the price to sell it at retail. So I distracted myself a lot with all of these other shiny object things instead of staying focused on what I really should have been doing, which was niching and going direct to people in those industries and, and maybe speaking at conference events in those industries and really using direct mail better. I love direct mail still to this day. So, I mean, how did you learn that kind of, obviously you had the marketing expertise and the relationship building, you knew all that, but like learning production of, you know, how to the cookie part of it. How was, what was your process there? Trial and error. I mean, I started out, rolling out these cookies. So these cookies are rolled out really thin. And so I was in the, in renting space in, I ended up in a church kitchen, rolling out these cookies on Mondays, myself, rolling them out, baking them, packaging them. Eventually I ended up getting somebody uh, to come help me, the wife of somebody I met through the chamber. And so then I had an assistant, but then, it, and, and then I got a like tabletop machine that would roll them out, but we still had to cut them manually. And eventually I got big enough that I could, uh, I ended up leasing a piece of equipment that did, that automated all of that and put it in a commercial bakery space and had somebody running that for me and uh, went through three commercial bakers because just things happened. Um, 
that that forced me to have to find new people. And you mentioned the Zen Crunch. That second baker was the one who had a distributor that showed her some product and she came up with that product for me. Oh, really? Hmm. And it was beautiful. I mean, that stuff was like crack. I don't even know. I don't have the recipe for it. So even if I wanted to reproduce it, I couldn't. But, oh, my gosh, that stuff was amazing. Interesting. It was probably mostly sugar, but it was delicious. (laughs) Sugar and some nuts. and Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And how did it get on uh, uh, Rachel Ray? How did that happen? One of my friends who I worked with when I lived in Sacramento, and we worked together at this marketing communication agency, I hired her to do my PR. And she managed to pull that off. Now, you would think being on the Rachel Ray show, yes, it sounds very impressive. And there's lots of credibility that comes with that. Right. But the end result was a lot of people emailing me asking if they could get a discount if they bought like four bags in, you know, because that was bulk to them. Right. And like stories like I have a very large family and we don't make very much money. Can you send me some coupons? That's what I got out of being a rancher. <laughs> it wasn't like being on Oprah or having no, it wasn't. Oprah review your book or read. It did it. not have the Oprah effect. No, the Oprah effect was not there. Um, no, sadly, because uh, I was I was open for that. Yeah. So before you closed down um, the baking company, did you have your idea for your next business that you're currently doing? What was kind of? No, no, I didn't at all. And it, what it what. <laughs> The reason I ended up closing that, so there was a lot of um, shame and um, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it was really difficult to close that business because that was my identity. Like, I know I've talked to a lot of people. You've probably talked to a lot of people when you leave a position or a company, you know, whether you're, it's your own company or not. And that's, you've been doing that for so many years. That's who you are. Right. And you leave and now you're like, well, what do I do now? Who am I? Right. What happens now? I had no idea. I had, I was in the process of closing that business when my mom was diagnosed with an acute form of leukemia and she passed away six weeks later. So it was in some ways good timing because then I didn't have the business needing my attention that I could focus my attention on. Um, those last weeks with her and then with all of the stuff that had to be done afterwards with the estate and everything. Um, and just having that time to kind of process through, but it was a lot of time to process through the death of my business and my mom at the same time. Wow. Yeah. The grieving, I can't, I can't even imagine what that looked like. Yeah. So what did you, you know, what did you do next? Like what, how did you process all that? How did you process the grieving and Well, yeah, I mean, I came, that was actually when I started to get more into meditation. So the interesting thing was I was actually introduced to meditation when I was 10 years old. My mom took my brother and me to a meditation course that's now known as the Silva method. And so we were introduced to it, but then I didn't practice it for like the next 35 years because why would I? But uh, (laughs) maybe, (laughs) maybe because I wasn't. I just wasn't, maybe that first business would have looked a lot different if I had, but I turned to meditation to kind of help me stay calm and grounded and balanced and 
manage through that time, I ended up taking a consulting position in marketing for a couple of years because I didn't know what I was going to do next. And so, and I had a lot of debt to pay off uh, from that, <laughs> from that business. So yeah, I became, essentially I was the director of marketing for a, a real estate company. Although I didn't let them hire me as an employee because from a mind space standpoint, I did not want to be an employee. Right. So it was important for me to maintain my consultant status. Yeah. Just to go back to your meditation at 10, like was your mom like very progressive, like to bring a 10 year old to a meditation class, you know, yeah. like I, you know, my, my, uh, my stepmom raised me basically, but, uh, you know, she was from, you know, she didn't immigrate to the United States from Italy until I think she was 26 years old. So like I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> Yeah. So was she into it? I mean, did she obviously do it or she wanted to learn? Yeah, somehow. I don't know how she was introduced to the to the course, but she took the course with a couple of friends and then she came back and took my brother. My brother was eight and I was 10 and she put us in the kids course with her friend. They were our neighbors across the street with their kids. And then there were some other random kids in the class, too, Um, but it was two full weekends and yeah, we learned so much. So I always had that as a foundation and as a base, even though I wasn't practicing it, but it was there. And then she also um, made my dad take the class. Was the, that's probably the best way to describe it. She made him, I, like he didn't believe in that stuff. Like believe in meditation. It's like believing in, in gravity. Like it, it's a thing, whether you believe it or not. Right. But he was not into it, but he went through it anyway. No surprise, they divorced a few years later. Not because of that, but just their beliefs were so different. Damn meditation class. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Why'd you bring me there? <laughs> right. No. Um, but yeah, it it was. Uh, so I guess, yeah, she was fairly progressive, especially when she was younger. <laughs> yeah. So you do this marketing consultancy and then you come up with an idea for your business. What, what was yeah. that, how that happened? Yeah, the um, their need for me to be their director of marketing was kind of phasing out, and so then at this at the same time, I was kind of getting the itch to get back into running my own thing again, and I came to the idea of teaching networking strategies, like how because I had to learn that when I started my the baking company, I had to learn how do you go to a chamber meeting or a conference and walk into a room full of people where you don't know anybody, and being uh, what I call a quiet person. I was super shy as a kid. And I learned, I grew, I grew out of that more as I got older, but still can be very intimidating for me to walk into a space where I don't know anybody and break into a conversation or start a conversation with somebody I don't know. How do you do that? And so I had to learn how to do that. And so I thought, well, let me go back to that. I'm actually pretty good at making connections with people and maintaining relationships. So I started putting together a course on that. And I wrote an ebook called How to Be Comfortable, Confident, and Courageous at Networking Events. And um, yeah, so I was starting to teach that while going into companies and teaching workshops and then pandemic and nobody was going anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And now what? Now I need to pivot again. 
So I, I, I do. I, I love connecting with people. So I'm, I'm a big relationship builder, connector, go giver. I, I, I really enjoy it. But it mainly, you know, mainly one on one settings. I mean, um, and a lot of people, it's like sales. You know, sometimes people think of sales as somebody forcing you to do something. They think of right. car salesman or timeshare would be the worst example. Yeah. Probably, you know, they don't care about the relationship. And I, I just think networking events themselves, uh, I, I'd love your opinion about it, but like it's, you know, it's harder, like it's usually for me, I get introduced by a friend or, you know, how it works uh, and they want to meet with me. And I always take those meetings, but a networking events is kind of a blind, right? You're just walking up to somebody and sometimes people think it's, you know, tit for tat type thing, uh, but I would love your kind of uh viewpoint on networking events and kind of the power of the relationship yeah well that's exactly it you're building a relationship that's where people get hung up and and come out of it not liking networking events because they think it's a pitch fest and it is in no way i mean shouldn't be a pitch fest it's starting a relationship you're just having a conversation you don't know what's going to come out of it maybe they've become a client down the road Maybe they send you referrals and they become a referral partner. Maybe you just met your new, your new best friend. Who knows? But go into it with the attitude of, I'm going to have some cool conversations and see what happens. And go into it with the attitude of, let me find out about these other people. Like what makes, like being curious about who they are not just what they do. I absolutely detest the question, what do you do? Which is what we are all trained to ask at networking events. And it is absolutely the worst question yeah. you can possibly start a conversation with. Like everybody who's listening to this right now, do not ever ask that question. Do yourself a favor. Don't ask that question. What's your favorite networking event opening question? What are you excited about working on right now? There we go. Love it because that opens the door to letting the person interpret that question however they want. First of all, they are thrilled that you're not asking them, what do you do? You're asking them a question that they can really dig into and enjoy answering. Right. And, you know, people could be at networking events for all kinds of reasons. Maybe they're between jobs or whatever it is. Asking that question gives them the opportunity to tell you how much they're enjoying um, coaching their daughter's softball team right. or whatever. It doesn't have to be work-related right. or it could be, yeah. but it tells you something about who they are because right. they're getting excited about telling you what they're excited about. So, yeah, I, I love that question. Uh, I think that's a, a great tip for our listeners out there. And uh, so you're doing this networking thing. You're introverted. And I, I, I saw a quote somewhere where, you know, what teacher said, you know, you need to speak up more. You're a great student, you need to speak up more in class. And you said, you know, you're comfortable around friends and family members and you could be yourself. But I was 100% the same way. 100%. Till I went to college, I think I got out of my, um, but I re even remember my first pro professional job. Uh, my second manager said uh we we had some big wig i, I worked for at&t when there's a million employees so it was big mm -hmm. and um i didn't ask any questions during this q a with a top executive my manager said jeff people think you have very high potential but you have to ask questions 
you yeah. need to get out of your comfort zone and you know and i and i saw in your uh the chapter of the book uh, the love warrior so i read it and it was very good but i i, I the person i would write the letter to is nancy sadler I'm going to find her because she gave me that advice and I never really, th I never thanked her, but I, I've mentioned it several times, but I'm going to try to find her because I don't think she's on LinkedIn or anything. Uh, but uh, I am going to take your advice from that. Uh, oh my gosh. That, that's yeah. that you just made my day. I'm yeah. so happy you read that and you're going yeah. to do that exercise. Yeah, no, I thought it was fantastic. So. Yeah, so you doing this networking, consulting, helping people, especially introverts, uh, with the networking um, events and 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 doing better there, and then so, but now you're you're basically a, a stress stress eradication expert. Yeah, so you I, you know, and, until I come up until yeah. I come up with a better term. Yeah, it's, it's then right. stress eradication expert. But yeah. yeah, I mean, really, I'm on a mission now to teach the world to be calm and grounded, no matter what's going on around them. Right, yeah. and. Then, so during pandemic, it, it, I came back around to talking about gratitude. Cause when I had that the baking company, I was talking a lot about using gratitude as a differentiating factor in business. And, and then it kind of expanded out to talking about how to use gratitude to create success and be a more successful person and create success in your life overall. And so once pandemic came around and I, I got back into it, in fact, just today, I saw as a memory on Facebook that I was putting out, hey, I'm going to run a five-day gratitude experience. This was in June. Well, yeah, we're coming up into June of 2020. And I ran a five-day gratitude experience to help people feel and find more gratitude in their lives because, you know, that was a pretty challenging time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Was that live or virtual? It was live uh, i was doing facebook lives okay it was live and it had um it had some email components to it with exercises okay. and stuff for people to do every day yeah i actually meant face to face but obviously it makes sense june 2020 things were not yeah nobody was going anywhere yeah, yeah phenomenal um yeah, it's interesting because I uh, I'd love the meditation and um, I got into it about five or six years ago. I'm a big ter Tim Ferriss guy. Uh, I, you know, read the Four Hour Work Week way back when and started listening yeah. to this podcast early on. And I think you said it somewhere, whether it's your you know, your bio, or your about section, um, or your LinkedIn profile about how all these high powered people. Um, you know, meditate and athletes, business people, you know, the, the actors, every, you know, every, everything in between. And, you know, Tim Ferriss, you know, would say 80% of my guests meditate. And I'm thinking, well, if Anthony Robbins and, you know, Peter Atia and, you know, all these great people that have done phenomenal things, meditate, I'm like, it's probably good for me. And I, and I think it's especially important, uh, and your viewpoint would be even, uh, you know, more enlightening than mine, I'm sure. But it's just, you know, everything's instant gratification and on and getting notifications. Um, and it just the, the power of the mind, you just can't, you, you can't, you, you can't keep up with it. So you have to, and, and it's crazy. I don't golf that much, but when I started meditating, my golf game became better with everything 
being equal in terms of the amount of effort I put into it and practice and not play, playing maybe five, six times a year. But I think, you know, mind, uh, golf is all about the mind. You know, it's mm -hmm. you against you versus, you know, sports. You've got people coming after you, 100 mile per hour fastballs, whatever. Uh, so, but I would love your take on, you know, meditation, especially in today's world with, you know, everything, you know, everything's always on. <laughs> Everything is always on and we are constantly being pulled in a million different directions. And there are so many distractions that we rarely allow ourselves the time to settle and to hear our own inner voice and to breathe, like to really breathe. I mean, obviously we're breathing because we're still alive, but to really breathe deeply to oxygenate your body and your brain. And you talked about immediate, um, immediate benefits. So meditation actually does provide some immediate benefits as well as everybody hears about the longer term benefits, but the immediate of doing three minutes of just sitting quietly and breathing deeply and paying attention to breathing all the way in, all the way down to your abdomen and letting all of that air out and doing that for just three minutes you will have immediate effects in terms of just everything slows down your nervous system, your, your, um, the cortisol that's coursing through your veins, everything will, will feel better. You will feel better by stopping for three minutes. I mean, three, come on, who doesn't have three minutes, right? Try this for three minutes. If you can't sit this is another thing we I talk about all the time about the, all the myths and misconceptions around what meditation is. And people think they have to sit for an hour in complete silence with no thoughts in their head and, uh, you know, cross-legged on a mat. And that's a form of meditation, I guess, but most people can't do that. And so they think they're not good at it, but there are so many other ways to do it. And so many benefits to doing it. You just, you mentioned how all of these tie, high top performing business leaders and athletes and they all do it not because they have nothing else to do. There are, and you know, back in the day, I think when I first learned to meditate, people kind of looked at it as like a woo woo thing. Yeah. And there's so much science and research behind how it affects your physical health, your mental health, your focus, your creativity, your emotional intelligence, your relationships, whether it's at work or at home, uh, your ability to sleep, it affects your sleep. Like you can, people who meditate sleep better, all of these things. And yeah, it's, but coming back to what I think is one of the most important pieces of all of this is that space to allow yourself to hear your own inner voice because everybody's trying to tell you who they think you should be and what you should do. Never mind, they can't run their own lives, but they are going to tell you how to do yours, right? right, right. <laughs> but, but what is your inner voice saying? Because only you can hear it, but you have to slow down enough right. to tap into it. Right. Yeah, it's very interesting. So you, um, so you basically take the name from the baking company and make your own consulting firm. So what you know, Zen rabbit. And, you know, so you're on the, you know, this mission to, you know, quiet, uh, people's minds. Um, 
but you know, so who are your main people you uh, you help? Do you work with individuals? Do you work with companies? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. So high achievers who feel like they are never accomplished enough. And I know what that feels like because I am one. And that means that you work 15 or 18 hours a day and you go to bed and you feel like you still haven't done anything. You haven't accomplished enough. There's still so much more to do. And we have been trained since birth to believe that hard work is the key to success. That's how you become successful. Just keep working. Just keep nose to the grindstone. Keep working, keep working. And if you're not productive, you don't have value. And if you haven't accomplished something, you know, it's like, what have you done for me lately? Everything, we think that if we take any time to stop and relax and recharge, that like the world's going to fall apart or something. And we can't allow that. And I'm not anywhere near where I'd like to be in terms of my goal. So I better keep working. Right. But that's the big fat freaking lie is that all of this hard work, 24 seven hustle is what's going to get you to success. It can, but at what cost? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, it's interesting. I, I had two back-to-back hard jobs, uh, one right before the pandemic. It was about a five and a half year run with this late stage startup that got bought out. And then I went to uh, uh, United Way of Greater Kansas City and right before the pandemic and during the pandemic. So just, you know, just making a long story really short, right after I left United Way because they let go about 20% of their full time because of the pandemic, I got into all these things about, oh, I need to be productive, like all these productivity hacks. And, mm-hmm. I, and I love Ryan Holiday's uh, quote, you know, we're human beings, not human doings. Right. I, I, I was just caught up with, I got to figure out what's next. I, you know, I don't have a job now, <laughs> you know, like all these things. But I mean, I needed a break. It was, it was the yeah. bottom line. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's crazy. So you, um, so you'll work with individuals or corporate executives. Like what is the kind of, yeah, I, I prefer working with small groups. So I'll do one-to-one private coaching, if you will, but I much prefer to do a small group because everyone benefits more from the interaction of everybody else. Right. And from learning, not just from me, but from each other and having the ability to interact and exchange ideas in that way. So smaller group programs, as well as coming into organizations and doing workshops from, for them as well. Okay. Now when you say small teams, uh, like, is that a leadership team? So like a a peer group or is that, it could be, it could be when I've done the small groups um, outside of organizations, It's just, it's been entrepreneurs primarily who come together. Well, yeah, not just on, I've had some employees, but they've joined as individuals into this small group program that I've done outside of organizations. Okay. So it's just a a mishmash of like whoever shows up that month, you know? I see. I mean, they sign up for the program. It's not like random show up, but. And what's the program consist of? Like, is it X, is it every month or X number of months or what is it? Yeah. It's an eight week program that is, um, so it's called 
well, I don't know what the rating on your show is. I'll say- Oh, it's, it's explicit if you go- Okay. F-bomb, All right, so the show, the, the, the program's called Fuck Being Fine because we reach this place where we go around saying everything's fine right. when it is not fine at all. And you finally reach a point, usually in your 40s or 50s, where you're like, fine is not okay. I can't do this anymore. Fuck it. I This is, so right. fuck being fine. Under that program, the framework is called the Trilogy for Success. And the trilogy is gratitude, connections, and those connections are with everybody, family, friends, colleagues, but most importantly, as we talked about, yourself. And the third, third piece is courage because you're going to get some messages once you start tapping into your own inner voice that you're going to think, uh, I'm so, I, I can't do that. And you have to find the courage to listen to your own inner voice. Your intuition will not steer you wrong, but it's going to take courage sometimes to listen to it. Yeah, I love it. Love it. So it's a, it's an eight week program, uh, an hour, depending on how many people are in the program, an hour to 90 minutes a week. And participants in the past have said to me that that is the highlight of their week. Yeah, that's great. And it's Zoom, I assume, right? Or It is Zoom. It is Zoom. When I, but going into organizations, I would so much rather do it in person. Right. Because the energy exchange is so, this is why I love this, going back to why I love having a microphone, uh, being on a stage or in front of, it doesn't have to be on a stage, like, but in front of a room, leading a workshop, the energy exchange is so incredible. I love that. Right. And so that's what I love. Like, this is my way of teaching now. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So um, I'd like to help usually two groups of uh, that I'm very empathetic towards. One is recent college graduates. So what advice, uh, Lori, would you give a recent college graduate in terms of their career and how to navigate that first job and then the the, the early years? What, what, What advice would you impart on them? Two things. One start building your network. Your network is your most important business asset. They can take away everything from you, they being whoever. But if you have a strong network, you can recoup everything. And that's not just in a business sense, in your life, like have a good mechanic, have a good doctor, but start building your network now. Not and not when you you know get let go from your next your first job or your next job, and you don't have a network to draw on. Start building your network now. And by the way, I released, I revised and re-released just a few months ago that that book, that ebook. Okay. So that's available on my website. Um. So go get the book. Yeah. And, I'll put the link and learn the- how to be learn how to network effectively. So yeah. that's number one. Yeah. And number two is find a way, whether it's meditation or whatever it is that you can, that whatever way you can find to keep yourself calm and grounded again, no matter what's going on around you, because when you can learn how to respond instead of react, you are so much more powerful. Right. Yeah. A a, a book I read in the, uh, God, it was probably my Around 30, 31, it was uh, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, Viktor mm. Frankl. And, you know, if yeah. you, you know, if you can't read that book and think about, well, geez, you know, this guy controlled his mind in the, the most extenuating circumstances that, you know, humans have ever faced. 
you know, I, I gave it out several times to my team members when they got stressed about, you know, I said, look, t- read this. And then yeah. work is just work, you know, like. You right. Know. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And speaking of books, I would also highly recommend Think and Grow Rich for okay. any yeah. new graduate. Classic. Okay. Yeah. It's a cl- it is a classic and so many people yeah. don't know about it. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah. So the second group uh, is when you, you know, and then you're a few years in your professional career, you get, you get that promotion. So now, you know, from an HR perspective, you have people reporting to you. So what, what uh, leadership advice do you have for these uh, first time uh, managers that now have people reporting to them that kind of help their leadership journey? Yeah, pretty much the same advice. Uh (laughs) 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 Build your network, but now you're building your network below you as well. So it's not always just networking up, having, you know, building that network and teaching your team how to network and, and teaching your team how to, encouraging your team to get into personal and professional development. Like education is a lifelong thing. So no matter what your position is to be always be learning, but then when you become the leader to encourage your team members to always continue learning and whether, who was it that said um, something about you can teach this is totally paraphrased um, that you encouraging your people to continue, continually learn. And if they end up leaving you, then like, that's okay. But if they're not learning and they stay, that's worse. Like they're right. Just, yeah. No, I, I totally yeah, I I've heard that, that quote. But, yeah. But yeah, yeah, totally right. Totally right. Well, and yeah, it's important because, and you have to do it, right? So you yeah. can just tell them, Hey, you right. need to do professional development, you know? And I, I taught a class at the university of Kansas in the business school uh, on Salesforce uh, leadership. But I said, look, you know, those of you that are seniors, you know, you're going to graduate, but your learning just begins. Like what you learned in here, you know, it's, it's minute compared to, you know, you're going to have to learn for the rest of your life to continue to grow. So, yeah. Yeah. And so encouraging your team members to do the same. I have one of my, I've had amazing mentors in my life and one of them in particular always comes to mind and he would share books with me. And not even necessarily just business books. Like he introduced me to the Celestine Prophecy. Oh, wow. Books that just yeah. would expand who you are. Right. To become a better person. That's really what I think um, we all would do well to strive to become. When you become a better person, you become a better leader. You become a better business person. Yeah. I, just all around. And to act in collaboration instead of instead of competition. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, you know, and really, you know, they're not. You need to, you know, my philosophy, and I think a lot of leaders too. It's like you're you're in it together. You're you mm-hmm. you know, lead, you know, alongside people, not. Well, they're definitely not from behind, but, uh, you know, you know, you have to set strategies and set the vision, but you know, you're, you're part of a team trying to do great things. So, yeah. Well, Laura, you've been phenomenal. I, you know, we talked before we got on about the word fine. So I, I love that, uh, 
you uh, have a podcast fine as a four letter word and uh, and the program fuck fine so that's uh anybody that does that is a definitely a, a friend of mine so uh, thank you again for being on the podcast my pleasure and i invite your listeners to come visit at zenrabbit.com where they can uh they can find that networking book and um yeah if somebody wants to download a free six-minute gratitude meditation. They can find that there as well. Yeah, phenomenal. Well, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. My pleasure, Jeff. I just thought Lordy was a a great guest. Uh, You know, a lot of key learnings. Uh, Rachel Ray doesn't have the Oprah effect, so if you get your uh, (laughs) cookie product, uh, Zen Crunch on Rachel Ray, all you get is emails from uh, consumers asking for a discount. not the same thing, is it? Doggone it. So, but yeah, I mean, I just, very funny. She has her own podcast. Her training course is, uh, fuck being fine is the, yeah, is the name of it. And it's funny, you know, I was introduced to her by Tabitha Scott, who was guest episode number four on our podcast. And it was so funny when I was doing research on Lori, you know, when I found out, you know, the fuck being fine and this, you know, fine is not good. It's so funny because I have said that for years. If I ask them, like, how are you doing? They say, fine. I'm like, you know, I got to probe a little bit because usually it's not good. Fine is not good. Yeah. That's like, yeah. So it's interesting. Now, I'm just going to guess, and she wrote a networking book for essentially introverts, and you're one of the biggest introverts I know, you're probably going to give your uh, wisdom or oh, insight yeah. on that piece. Yeah, I actually wear that uh, a sense of pride as my introversion. And so I wanted to talk about that. She talked about how to make conversation a networking event. And obviously that is not my strong suit. That's not something that I uh, am especially proud of being able to manage. And she referred to the fact of the tendency that a lot of people have of saying the, the first thing, oh, okay, what do you do for a living? And uh, she challenged that and said uh, that what you do for a living isn't the best opening line. A much better opening line is what are you doing that you're excited about? And I think that's genius. That's absolutely genius because on the one hand, if the person is excited about what they do for a living, then it's, it accomplishes the same thing. So it's no harm, no foul. But it opens up the best possible conversation to that person because what do people want to talk about other than what they're excited about? I mean, that's the, sure. what you, just op- you just invited them to the one very thing that they most want to talk about when you didn't even know what it was that they wanted to talk about and go on all sorts of different directions after that. So I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, I, I did too. I, I noted that uh, and I figured you would comment on it. So yeah. <laughs> that, that introverted and that predictable. Yep. Uh, what leadership advice do you have for our listeners today, Joe? Well, today we're going to get a little bit of introspection, if you will, from that great philosopher, Andy Bernard, who once said, I wish there was a way to know that you're in the good days before you've actually left them. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.